Oh, me, I'm Jean. I've been here too many years to remember, and I'm one of the readers here. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for those words that James has just read that actually, yes, pray for me. Lord, we pray for each other as your word is proclaimed. Lord, may it reach into each of our hearts this morning. Amen. Daddy, I want an Oompa Loompa. I want you to get me an Oompa Loompa right away. Well, most of you probably know they're the words of Veruca Salt in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. She vows to scream and scream and scream if she doesn't get the whole world and she doesn't care how she gets it. She wants it all now. Well, the lucky five in that story who found the golden ticket wrapped in mouth-watering chocolate only hoped for a chance to meet Willy Wonka, to eat his secret treats and receive a lifetime supply of chocolate. What none of them realised or imagined was that Willy Wonka wanted to give away far more than just chocolate. He wanted to give away his entire legacy. And he was searching for someone to mentor, someone to have a deep relationship with, someone to share the deepest secrets of his heart, and someone to take over the entire operation when he retired. And that's what prayer is all about. Not coming to the Lord with a list of I wants like Veruca Salt, but building a relationship now which will be part of our ongoing inheritance when we die. Seeing prayer as something to be highly valued, as did the early Christians. So that is the title of a new series that we're starting today in the mornings, Things We Are Called to Value. And the first one is prayer. The Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. You can put the next slide up, please. Thank you, Kieran. Now, Jesus had a wonderful and unique relationship with his father, yet he endured the pain of the cross and he endured separation from his father in order that you and I could be brought back into relationship with God. So God created you calls you and saves you, calls you into his presence for the simple reason that he loves you and he wants to enjoy your company. And prayer is simply entering into the God space, keeping company with our Heavenly Father, talking, listening, maybe even in floods of tears because someone has acknowledged that the purest of prayers are the tears that we offer to God. But sadly, for many of us, the relationship is often one-sided. How often does God sit and wait for us to keep him company, but we don't turn up? If you were invited to one of the Queen's garden parties, you would jump at the chance to go. But this is the King of Kings inviting us to come into his presence. And we make excuses. Oh, I can't get up early enough. I'm too tired. I've got to take the children to school. It seems, unlike Veruca Salt, we don't really want chocolate enough to accept the gift on offer. One of the first references to prayer is in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 7. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to him? That really says it all. The Lord our God is near to us 
when we pray to him. And whenever we pray, he responds. And in that intimate relationship, prayer changes from the very selfish demands of Veruca's sort, I want, I want, to Jesus, what is on your heart? What have you want from me today? One quote I came across said, Worship-based prayer seeks the face of God before the hand of God. Is that what prayer is like for us? So prayer connects us with God in an intimate relationship. And then we have Christ's example as a man of prayer. You'll notice as we go through that they all begin with C. Jesus valued prayer so much that the Gospels record many times when Jesus prayed, often spending whole nights in prayer, praying to his Father. And in John chapter 15 to 17, we are given a unique insight into the kind of things that Jesus prayed for, including praying for us all these generations and years later, praying for our protection, for unity, that we would be one with the Father as he was one with the Father. And he encourages his disciples again and again and again that if they ask in faith, they will receive what they ask for. And it's not about showy prayers with long words and complicated sentences and these and thous, but simply coming and saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And in recent weeks, the Archbishop of Canterbury has encouraged churches to pray through the pattern of this prayer. And I'm sure many people were blessed who came to the church when it was open to go through these seven stages of the prayer that the Jesus taught his disciples. It was very helpful. And of course, this prayer, our Father, starts with relationship. He's my Father. He's your Father. He's our Father. And if Jesus valued prayer so much and needed it to maintain his relationship with the Father, how much more do we? It's a, bit, a little bit like Willy Wonka, because God wants to mentor us. He wants to build up in a relationship so that we can take our rightful place in the inheritance of the saints, the eternal kingdom that God has prepared for those who love him. And then thirdly, prayer changes situations and us. The Bible is full of situations that have been changed following prayer. Some of them are short, silent prayers that are whisked up to heaven in the heat of the moment. I love the story of Nehemiah serving a foreign king. And unfortunately, he goes into the king with a sad face, which I think could have resulted in him being quite severely reprimanded and the king said to me what do you want why are you sad today and then as in a very quick arrow prayer Nehemiah prayed then I pray to the God of heaven and then he went back and talked to the king and answered the king now this led to him actually being allowed to go back to Jerusalem to Judah to organize the rebuilding of the ta- of the city and the walls That was a huge situation change because of his arrow prayer. We'll come back to Nehemiah a bit later on. Other famous Old Testament prayers include a servant praying for a wife for his master's son. You see, God is interested in our relationships. Samson praying for water to quench his thirst. 
and the Jewish queen Esther praying for the Jews to be saved from destruction. And that was another massive situation change. And this is where I came across three words in in Esther chapter 9, which I shared a few months ago. Three words which quite changed my prayer and the faith that I had in prayer. The reversal occurred. The reversal occurred. When we pray, changes happen. Situations are reversed. And I shared then that I was in the middle of an 18-month-old prayer of a situation that needed to be changed. Can I say at this point that on Monday, part of that prayer was answered? It's still ongoing, but there was a chink in the armour. Light came in. Something happened to change the situation. Now, other prayers in the New Testament which resulted in huge changes included the church praying for Peter's release from prison, and he walked free. And a certain Roman soldier, Cornelius, who regularly prayed to God, whose prayers were answered in an amazing way as it led to Peter visiting this Gentile and his family and opened the way not just for their salvation but for non-Jews to become believers. So we can pray about anything and anyone. We are encouraged to pray for God's will to be done, which really means that from a close relationship with God, we begin to see things from his perspective. So we don't come with a shopping list of things, but we come and ask what is on his heart. And we come to understand the things that he would want us to pray for. The scope of prayers in the Bible that change situations is vast. From prayers for healing, for safety, from rescue from enemies, for a child, for a king, for forgiveness, for rain, for release from captivity, for eyes to be opened to see the presence of God's army, for success, for protection, for peace against the evil deeds of others, for wisdom and all sorts of other things. And all these people in the Bible prayed, knowing and believing, as that Deuteronomy verse said, that God was near and heard and answered their prayers. As Psalm 3 says, To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. And Psalm 34 says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. James, the brother of Jesus, says in chapter 4 of his letter, You do not have because you do not ask. There's a story about a little boy who had a dream of heaven. In the dream, God took the boy to a room, and in the room were various types of material possessions like cars and houses and other objects that we need in daily life. But also in the room were other things that seemed a little bit grotesque, like eyeballs and legs and hands and feet, piled high in various corners. When the little boy asked God what it meant, God replied, those are answers to prayers never prayed. That makes us think, doesn't it? God is waiting to answer. He has a storehouse full of answers. We just need to ask. I wonder how many prayers amongst us this week have been prayed where we have asked God to intervene or bless or change a situation. And how many have been answered? Five? Ten? Twenty? 
50? There must be dozens of prayers amongst us waiting to be answered. But how many answers God is waiting to give, but we don't seem to value prayer enough to have even asked him. The equation is simple. No prayer equals no relationship. But no prayer equals no response from God, no answers, no changes occurring, or situations being reversed. It's simple. I'm sure each one of us will and have been definitely changed by that intimacy of being in God's presence. But our prayers will have a marked effect upon other situations. It will change situations and lead to changes in people as we pray. The next one, prayer confounds the enemy. Prayer confuses him and it surprises him. Prayer shows the devil to be in the wrong, to be false. And we see from Ephesians, if you know all the other bits around Ephesians 6, that prayer is vital in preventing enemy attack. As people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are not just physical beings, but spiritual beings. And our day-to-day life, yes, is lived in the reality of of eating and drinking and going to work and cleaning the car and shopping and all sorts of other things and interacting. But there is another world surrounding us all the time. The spiritual forces in the heavenly realms that Paul talks about in Ephesians. And because of this, Paul exhorts every believer to be alert, to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and always to keep on praying for all the saints. He knew there were spiritual forces at work against the gospel, and that's why he asked the believers to keep praying for him. And we have an insight into the way the devil goes about on the attack from his name Satan, which means accuser. But prayer, our prayers, confuse him, And it destroys any case the devil has against you and me because he cannot stand up to the truth of the word of God and God's saving power and his presence through us by the Holy Spirit. So there is a spiritual battle going on. And of course, we can only fight in God's strength. And we do this by knowing and believing the truth of God's word and by protecting ourselves and each other by prayer and by putting on the armour of God every day. Again, I said a few months ago in another sermon that we need to be more savvy in praying preventative prayers. Not just praying for situations as they arise, but thinking through how a situation might develop and praying against that stage, the next stage or the stage after or the stage after that, so that we leap ahead in our prayers Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to immeasurably more, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. This is a clear instruction to use our imaginations to pray through possible scenarios and to pray against them. Your family are all settled at the moment in good health. Pray that it keeps it that way. 
Pray against the enemy attacking them. We were praying just now in the meeting beforehand, praying, talking about the enemy attacking families and separating them. Pray against that. There's all sorts of things we can pray against. If you think ahead and if you imagine, let God use your imagination to give that foundation to your prayer that's not just responding to the immediate. And when we take back enemy territory, when we claim every step we take for God, then we will see, as we sang in that chorus, strongholds will come tumbling down and down and down. So we can pray for our country, for our world. We can ask God's wisdom. We can pray keeping two steps ahead of Satan's accusations and destructive tactics. And how much our country needs our prayers in the coming month as we wait for the 23rd of May of June. Then we've got prayer, praying constantly. Constant prayer. Now, lots of Christians struggle with this concept. Surely that's something for monks and nuns to do because they've got all the time in the world. Their whole life in their daily life revolves around prayer. But we've got far more things to do. We've got to do the shopping, take the children to school, etc., etc. But I don't think this is as unattainable as it might seem. Now, our family used to know a lady missionary called Thea who retired to the Isle of Wight. And on one visit, she lived in a house that was hexagonal, and we used to call it the round house. One visit, she was chatting with us in the garden with the family, and she was on a little sort of swing in the garden by the fence, and the children had climbed up on trees around her. She was talking to us, and suddenly she just started talking to Jesus, just like that. And then she reverted back to talking to us. And it sort of took us back a a minute, but then we began to realise that Thea had such an intimate relationship with Jesus that he was with her. He was standing beside her. She talked to him as if he was there, which of course he was. So how did Thea have this extraordinary intimate relationship with Jesus? I think it was because she was a Christian of the secret room. Matthew 6 verse 6, and these are the words of Jesus, says, But when you pray, go into your room... Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now Thea had built up her relationship with God in that secret place, in the quiet room, and it overflowed into her daily life. The earlier version of that verse, which I read when I was a teenager, and we only had the authorised version then, had added a word at the end. The Lord will reward you openly. In other words, your secret meeting with the Father will result in prayers being answered in such a way that others will see the result. They will see that God is working. Now, going back to Nehemiah, we saw his quick arrow prayer. One minute he's talking to answering the king, then he's quickly answering, asking God for help, then he's going back to the king. But if you look in the first chapter, the previous chapter, he has spent days and days and days in prayer, confessing, confessing his own sin, confessing the sin of his nation, worshipping God and reminding God of his promises. He was able to pray that significant arrow prayer at that immediate point in time 
because he'd already spent time in God's presence, in the secret room, in the quiet place. In the New Testament, the Jewish converts who were becoming to faith in Jesus were used to praying at set times, but now Paul is saying that they can come into God any time, day or night. We can have access to him at any moment, at any time during the day. So perhaps we need to make prayer our life, and then our life becomes a prayer. And then lastly, prayer causes God's power to be released. James reminds us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God's power is released when we pray. And every prayer you pray is responded to by God and has an outcome of some kind. Every situation you're involved in can be changed by prayer. Every person you meet can be touched by God's influence and his power is released when the saints pray. And our prayers, Revelations tells us, are rising like saint, like incense to the Lord. He hears them, responds, situations are reversed and people are changed. Now if prayer was taken away from you, how would you feel? How would you feel if you couldn't pray here in church or at home or anywhere? How would you feel? Well, that did happen to some young men. It happened to Daniel. He and his friends were told they could not pray except to the gods that they, of the country they were forced, forcibly taken to. But Daniel, who valued prayer above everything else, made a point of climbing the stairs and going to his room, opening the windows wide so anybody could look in and see, going down on his knees and praying, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Of course, you know what happened to him, don't you? He ended up in the lion's den. And of course, God wonderfully rescued him. But that was how much Daniel valued prayer. Is it something we really value? Do we value that intimacy of sharing time with God, our Father? Do we value the fact that prayers can change situations Do we value the fact that prayer fights the enemy and defeats him and releases God's mighty power into the world? Do we value that instant access to God? At the end of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka says to Charlie, Charlie, don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted. And Charlie said, well, what happened? And Willy Wonka said, he lived happily ever after. Jesus invites you to become a partner with him in bringing to life your heart's desires. But much more than that, much more than chocolate forever, he wants you to live happily ever after with him in eternity. And in prayer, we join with him in this adventure of asking prayer because God created prayer for the sake of relationship far more than anything else. And the answers to prayer really are just the icing on the cake, or the chocolate, if you like. And heaven is full of chocolate. It's full of answers. 
R.A. Torrey, an American evangelist and pastor who lived over a hundred years ago, said something similar to the Westminster Confession. He said, the chief purpose of prayer is that God may be glorified in the answer. Well, may God indeed be glorified hundreds of times this week as we pray, as we see his mighty power released, as we see the devil defeated, as we see people changed and situations reversed. Glory to his name indeed. Hallelujah.